Hey, this week in our reading through the chronological Bible, we read Psalm 63, which said that the unfailing love of God is better than life itself. <laughs> That's what we were just singing. Hey, Friday, there was a great event for ladies. Uh, I don't know how many were here, but when I came to pick something up from the office on Friday night, I, had, I could hardly find a parking lot, a spot in the parking lot. So there must have been a lot of people, and I know that there were some powerful testimonies at Chocolate and Chat on Friday night. Don't forget that this Thursday is the National Day of Prayer, and there will be a community prayer service down at the Winona Heritage Room at noon on Thursday. So I invite you all to, who, who are able to get away uh, to come and participate that, in that as we come to God together. Hey, it is Family Discipleship Sunday, so welcome to all the families that are here and the kids uh, that have joined us this morning. We're so glad to have you. We're continuing in our sermon series, What's the Point?, which is in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I invite you to take your Bibles, print or digital, and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one right in front of you there, and you will find Ecclesiastes on page 540, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. <clears throat> Today's uh, topic and theme is pretty obvious. So, hey, kids, everybody, family, see, see if you can figure out what the theme is as we read these first verses, which are very famous and very well-known, probably the most well-known verses out of the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll start with chapter 3, verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh. Some of these themes are picked up in the New Testament. Paul wrote, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. That, that line's a little bit tough for us to understand. And maybe it has to do with gathering stones out of your fields and uh, that would be good for you and maybe scattering stones in someone else's field is bad for them. One commentator said that this could refer to gem stones. In other words, a time to invest, to save, and a, and a time to be generous and to give. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. That's a tough one, isn't it? To know the difference. App appropriate timing of speech is a major theme in the wisdom literature. A time to love and a time to hate. Really? The Bible says there's a time to hate? Paul again wrote, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That is sincere love. A time for war and a time for peace. All right, are you ready, kids? Are you ready to answer? What is the topic or theme of our message today? Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. See, if you sit in the front row, you're alert, you're connected, you're engaging, that's good. Time, it's time. All our times, all the different events and experiences which make up our whole life on this earth. That's what we're talking about is time. And you know what? 
Kids in the room, you could probably write a poem almost as good as the teacher, right? I'll get you started. You ready? Because you can do this. You could even do it now if you wanted to, but at home, you could write a, you could write a poem like this. You could write, um, there's a time to get up and a time to go to bed. There's a time to eat candy and a time to go to the dentist. <laughs> there's a time to play and a time to do chores. Ask your parents what chores mean, okay? <laughs> They'd like that, actually, if you would. A time to obey your parents. Oh, wait, that one doesn't work so well. Okay, <laughs> scratch that one. All right, so give it a try, okay? Try out. You, you can do this as well, but we're talking about time. And time is a bit of a tricky subject. It's complicated. It's complex. And, you know, most of the people alive when the book of Ecclesiastes was written had a different view of time than we do. All early religious thought believed that the cosmos, the universe, was profoundly cyclical. What does that mean, cyclical? Well, here is a time-lapse picture of the stars. That's cyclical, okay? And even though the ancients didn't have telescopes and time-lapse cameras, they picked up on the cyclical patterns of the heavens, of the stars, and they believed that, that they were what was permanent and real, and they, they were predictive of life on this earth, that it, that it was just endlessly, endlessly cyclical, a, a wheel-like pattern that never ended and just went around and around and around. Okay, what does that mean? Well, here, here's what they kind of, here's kind of how they viewed life, is that we are just kind of mice on a hamster wheel. And uh, it just goes around and around and around, and the mice come and go, and mice come and go, and mice come and go, but the wheel just keeps going around and around and around and around. That's, that's not a very happy view of time. It's fatalistic is the word for it. And so things didn't have meaning. They didn't seem to have purpose because all life was was an endless track on the hamster wheel. Nothing ever really changed. Here's what, here's what an author wrote about how the ancient Greeks viewed time. No event is unique. Nothing is enacted but once, because it's always being enacted over and over again. Every event has been enacted, is enacted, and will be enacted perpetually. The same individuals have appeared, appear, and will appear at every turn of the circle. <clears throat> Does that sound familiar? It should sound familiar to you for a couple of reasons. One is because we hear echoes of that actually in Ecclesiastes. Look what we read last week in chapter one of Ecclesiastes. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. And look at verse 15 in chapter three, or chapter four today. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before. So is the author of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, trying to feed us a pagan worldview of time? Is he foisting on us the conventional spiritual wisdom of his surrounding culture? Is this what the teacher is telling us? Are we just on an endless hamster wheel? 
Is that what life is? There's another reason why this should sound familiar to you is because in our post-modern, post-Christian world, this view of time has come back. And so you hear things like the phrase YOLO, right? You only live once, uh, which is the idea of make the most of the moment because when you die, it's all over. And it's often used to excuse impulsive, reckless, irresponsible behavior. What, what, what does it matter to have you know, impulsive, reckless, irresponsible behavior if all we are is mice on an endless rotating hamster wheel? Now, I do think you hear echoes. You hear echoes of this worldview in Ecclesiastes. But if you look closely, as we will today, you'll see that the teacher's worldview is drastically different from that. Drastically different. So what do we learn about time from this chapter? That the teacher doesn't just give us a nice poem about time. He's also going to make some statements about time. So let's look at them. Here's the first statement that the teacher makes about time, and it's this. God directs time. God is the one in charge of time. He directs it. He's moving it along according to his purposes. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Notice that beginning to end. Beginning to end is not a cyclical view of life. It's a linear view of time. From beginning to end, skip down to verse 14. We'll come back to uh, the verses in the middle there. I know that everything God does, God is doing it. God is active. God is at work, will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. The teacher does not believe in the ever-circling stars as the pattern of reality for our lives. He believes the sovereign creator God directs time. Death isn't the defining factor of our existence. God is. We aren't to fear death. We are to fear God. King David uh, said this in one of his psalms, my times are in your hands. My times. All the times we just read about in that poem, they're in God's hands because God directs time. <clears throat> Let me give you an illustration. I, uh, so Mary and I lived in Berlin for a number of years, and for some of the time that we were in Berlin, the ambassador to Germany was Dan Coates. Now, some of you will remember Dan Coates because he was a senator from our district. So uh, when, when I was younger, he was a senator from Indiana. And so we're in Berlin, and Dan Coates comes to Berlin as the ambassador from the United States to Berlin, or well, to Germany. So my uh, colleague and teammate, Mike Yoder, and I, we both grew up here in uh, Winona Lake, and so we thought, well, we have rights. And so <laughs> we, we, we rode our bikes down to the American embassy in Berlin and asked for an audience with Dan Coates, the ambassador to Germany. And we said, we're Americans from Indiana, and we voted for this guy. So <laughs> we, we got it. So we got, we got, we got, a, we got a, 
uh, an appointment with Dan Coates, so we went back down there, and, and he invited us into his beautiful office, and he served us coffee and tea, and we said, hey, Dan Coates, your majesty Dan Coates, or whatever you call him, you know, hey, we have a German-American club, would you come speak to our group? And he, 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 want, he was glad to do that. And so we actually kind of reserved an entire cafe near to the American embassy, and on that date, we packed it out with students that we had connection with on the universities there in Berlin. And uh, the Secret Service came in and, you know, checked everything out, and then Dan Coates came in and talked to our group. Now, this was dur during, I think, the... Um, uh, Iraq, uh, beginning of the Iraq war, and so there was a lot of stuff going on, and one of the students asked Dan Coates, who's a believer, are you afraid for your life? And Dan Coates said, God chose the day that I was born, and God chose the day I will die, and I can't do anything about it, so I'm not afraid at all. My times are in God's hands. I'm like, yeah, Dan. Way to go, buddy. So uh, I, I just I always remember that as, as a strong statement of faith and trust in the fact that our times are in God's hands. I once read an interesting book called The Gift of the Jews. What's the gift of the Jews? Well, this author proposed that the gift of the Jews was that they offered to the world, instead of a cyclical view of time, an endless fatalistic view of time, they were the ones that offered a linear view of time, progressing, of, and, and how did that happen? It happened when God called Abraham out of that worldview and said, go to the place that I have chosen. And what God did was he invited Abraham into his story, which has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so we think about that story. We, we, we have the whole Bible, and, and so we have the whole story from creation where God said, let there be, and it was, and it was good. And at the pinnacle of that creation was Adam and Eve, humans made in the image of God to know him and to serve him and to rule as his representatives. Unfortunately, there was a crisis, there was a conflict because sin came in. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. We want to make a name for ourselves. And then sin changed everything. But fortunately, God didn't give up on the human race. And we have the covenants, covenant with Abraham and uh, with Moses and with David and, and all of these covenants pointing forward to the necessity of a savior, a Messiah who would come and redeem people who had rebelled against God. And of course, the, the middle, the high point, the culmination of the story, not the culmination, the, the, uh, the high point of the story is what we studied during Easter time, the Easter places, Christ's uh, sinless life and his atoning sacrifice for us on the cross and his physical bodily resurrection from the dead that makes it possible for us to be forgiven when we put faith in him. And then we have the church age, which we're in right now. And the goal is to be witnesses of this gospel to all nations of the world. And finally, there will be culmination when Jesus Christ returns to establish his eternal kingdom. So we know the story from beginning to end, and it's not a cyclical story. It's not going to happen over and over again. It's God's plan. He's directing all these things according to his good purposes. By the way, we're reading this story together, aren't we, in the Chronological Bible this year? We're getting the whole story. 
Uh, and that's important for us. We don't, we're not in a fatalistic circle of time. Instead, we, we're part of God's story, which has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Well, and it kind of goes on forever with a very good end, uh, if you will. But it's, it's not the pagan worldview at all. <clears throat> the eternity which God placed into the human heart elevates us above meaningless repetition in an endless circle of time. It elevates us to be able to know God and have relationship with him and be a part of his story for his glory and our joy. It's true that we can't fathom everything that God is doing from beginning to end, but we do know the plot line. I just shared it with you. In just a couple minutes, we can say what the plot line is. We know that God indeed will make all things beautiful in his time. And we know that what God accomplishes will endure forever. And the most important thing to do in our time is to fear him. And that's not a paralyzing fear. It, it, it's a fear that is awe of him, and, a, and, and it's a fear that, that teaches us to run away from sin and evil and to, and to draw close to him. It's a fear that says, I want to align my life to your story, God. Our time is not our own. God created time. Have, have you submitted to his timeline, to his storyline? God directs time. That's the first thing we learn from uh, the teacher about time. The second thing is this. Time is God's gift to be enjoyed and stewarded. Time is, is a gift of God to us to be enjoyed and to be stewarded. Let's go back to verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. It's not just be happy. Don't worry, be happy. But it's also to do good, to steward that time well. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Jump down to verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot for who can bring them to see what will happen after them. It's okay to enjoy life. Isn't that good news? <clears throat> I mean, the God who created blooming trees, which we're all enjoying at this time of year, wants us to enjoy life. I just love it, looking around at all the, the colors of purple and red and, oh, it's, it's, and white is glorious all over town. Uh, by the way, everything that God does comes out of joy and is for the purpose of joy. He, he acts out of an unchanging center of joy and so he calls, it calls us to enjoy life. So there is such a thing as Christian carpe diem. Carpe diem means seize the day. There's, there's a Christian carpe diem, which is not focused on self, but is focused on God and on others. Here's how Paul talks about this out of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul writes, be very careful then how you live. In other words, think about how you use your time. Your times, be careful, thoughtful, intentional about how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So now he's kind of dipping into wisdom literature thinking, you, you, want, you should live effectively. You should live effectively. 
making the most of every opportunity, which literally means redeeming the time, buying it back, making the most of the time that you've been given. That, that's living wisely, is making the most of all the opportunities because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We know his will because we know the story from beginning to middle to end, and we know what part we play in that story. So if we know his will, we should align our life to it. We'll continue. Do not get drunk on wine. That's not a good use of time, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit guide us in our use of time speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father. One thing that should be consistent in our times, all the events and experiences of life, should be a gratitude and a thankfulness to God for who he is and what he has done for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's view of Christian carpe diem. <clears throat> Let's talk about our time. There are 168 hours in a week. All right, think about your week. 168 hours. Let's say you spend 40 of those hours working or going to school. Let's say you spend seven hours commuting to and from work or school. Seven hours in a school bus a week? I hope not, but maybe. <laughs> 14 hours preparing and eating meals, 56 hours sleeping, if you are lucky enough to get eight hours of sleep a night, <clears throat> and seven hours on various household and family chores. That leaves you with 44 hours unspoken for. Okay, fine, let's cut that one in half uh, with ablutions is what my mom called them. Do you know what ablutions are? Brushing your teeth, you know, doing your hair, all that kind of stuff, right? Taking a bath. All right, ablutions, um, church activities, devotions, relational activities with family and friends, and smartphone usage. Do you know that there's an app on here that always tells you what your screen time is? It's appalling. I, I, don't, I hate it when it comes, it comes up automatically every week to tell me how much time I'm spending uh, using the phone. <sighs> <clears throat> okay, after all of that, then you have 22 hours, almost the entire day of spare time. You may not think you have that much spare time, but I'll bet if you looked really closely, you do. Um, my question then is, what, what, what of that time is God's time? What, what of that time is God's time? Is it the time we do devotions, reading our chronological Bible and praying? Is it the time we spend right here together in church? What, what, of, what of all those times is God's time? Oh, thank you very much. All of it. Everyone say all of it. All, of it. all right, all of it is God's time. Uh, we have to remember 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So it's, it's all God's time. You gotta remember that. It's all God's time. Now, but it is interesting to ask, what am I doing with my spare time? Whether it's 22 hours or two hours, what am I doing with my spare time? We have a men's huddle going, and we're reading the book, Lies Men Believe. And this is what the author writes. 
what you and I do with our spare time may say more about us than what we do with our productive time, our productive time, our work time. I think that's true. What do you do with your spare time? Are you pursuing life-giving habits that help you to enjoy God? It can be fun. It can be, it can be joyful. It's not, it's not about not having rest or not being refreshed, but it's what kinds of things truly refresh our souls and draw us closer to God with joy. What am I doing with my spare time? Is, is your, what, what you do in your spare time, your free time, is it drawing you closer to God or is it putting obstacles in your relationship to God? Our time is not our own. God's gift of time is meant to be enjoyed but also stewarded for his glory. Are, are we using our time as God's time, all of it, but particularly our spare time to develop affections for God? Number three, third thing the teacher tells us about time we are accountable to God for how we use our time. Verse 15. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before, which sounds like the pagan cyclical view of time, but the next phrase destroys that completely, and God will call the past to account. There's going to be a time when God judges and holds everything, everyone accountable for what they did with their time. Verse 16, and I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. Now we, we see in this life under the sun that oftentimes justice does not happen. It's partial or doesn't take place at all. Oppression seems to win the day which is very discouraging. But even though the teacher isn't sure because he's only observing life under the sun, he isn't completely sure what happens after death, he's still convinced that somehow, in some way, at some time, God is going to bring justice to bear. And part of that will be accountability for how we live our lives. We all will have to give an account. Jesus told a lot of parables about that. The master goes off, but he's coming back. He's coming back. And the servants have to give an account for how they use their gifts, their abilities, their finances, their time to him. Look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. So we make it our goal to please him, that's to please God, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, whether alive or in his presence. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body for our time. What did we do with our time, whether good or bad? So there will be a reckoning. Now, this isn't a judgment of heaven or hell, of saved or unsaved. This is a, this is a judgment of reward. But all of us will have to give an account. This is a very consistent teaching of Scripture. Uh, we will be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. But there, there, now, God is gracious and, and good and kind, and we look forward to eternity. But, but we need to think now that we will, have, we will be held accountable for our time. It's not our own. I have this weird thing I've been doing my entire life. I don't know if anybody else does this. Tell me if you do later, okay, then I'll feel like I'm not alone but I think since my, since my 20s, 
almost every year I do this calculation in my head. Well, I figure the Bible says, you know, we live about 70 years, maybe there'll be more, maybe there'll be less, but let's just say I live 70 years. I, I subtract my current age from 70, and I think, oh, I got this much time left. And um, <clears throat> I, I pray, I pray, oh God, because I feel like I often waste time and don't use time well, and I, I confess and I ask forgiveness for like, oh man, and I say, in, this, in these next years, God, help me, help me to use my time for you to use my time for you. And it's really scary when I do the calculations now. There's only 14 years left, right? There's only 14 years left. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling the pressure, right? In some ways, I'm feeling the pressure. And say, oh God, before I die, please, please help me to learn to master myself in in order to use my time well, because I'm not perfect at it, okay? I, I doubt any of us are. But we, we have to grow. And, and, and so through my life, I, I've been doing this. this and you can tell me later. <laughs> but <laughs> but the, the reason I do that is, is because I do know that I'm going to be held accountable, that I'm going to stand before Jesus someday. And the only reason I can stand is because I'm clothed in Christ. He, it's his forgiveness that gives me confidence. All right? But I know that I'll still have to give an account for what I did with the gifts and talents and time that he gave me. It's, it's not a heavy burden, it, but it's a, it's a drawing and a calling to align my life with his story. All right, last one. The resurrection revolutionizes our view of time. <clears throat> Guess what I'm out of? I'm out of time. You're going to have to read the rest of the chapter on your own. You'll just notice that, that the teacher doesn't understand something that we understand, that there is resurrection from the dead. I, I feel the pressure of time. I feel the clock is ticking down. You can't see it, but I have a countdown clock. I'm running out of time in this service, but there's a countdown clock on all of our lives. We, we don't get to see it in huge neon numbers that just turned red. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, I'm, but it's true of our lives as well. And, and if you think that you're not sure about resurrection, that's a huge amount of pressure because you got to do it all now. You gotta get your bucket list done now. I gotta have it all and experience it all now because there's a hard stop and that's it. But you know when I make my calculations in my head, I got 14 years left. Is that true? No, that's not true because there's a resurrection. I've got billions upon billions of years left in the new heavens and the new earth. And if I think my bucket list is cool here, wait till the new heavens and new earth. It's going to be much, 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 much better. Amen? Amen. I got all the time in the world. Why? Because the resurrection revolutionizes the way we look at time. However, there are some things that we won't be able to do in the new heavens and the new earth. And one of those is to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus yet, to be about God's mission. We know what part of the story we're in. This is the church age, to be witnesses to the world, every nation, tribe, and tongue, to the wonderful, glorious news of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ, that we can be forgiven and reconciled to him. 
We, we don't, we're not going to be doing that in eternity. Now is the time for that. So now's not the time to rest. We're going to have lots of rest, not just laying around doing nothing, have, d- doing wonderful things that refresh and renew and give us joy forever and ever and ever. Yay! So now's not the time to rest. Now's the time to submit our time, our times, to God's story and, and, and to be a part using our gifts and our personality, who he's made us to be, to engage with the church and with its mission in the world. So what? Does God get a couple hours of my week or do I see all my time as God's? It's a paradigm shift we may need to make. Am I aligning my time with God's story? Or am I just trying to write my own story? Does what I do with my spare time help me delight in God? I think it's good for us to do an inventory even this week to be conscious and aware and intentional. How am I using my time? There's times for a lot of things, and one time there is a time to say goodbye. I do not like those times. I don't like to say goodbye. But sometimes we have to say goodbye. In a group that we have to say goodbye to are college students. And uh, because this is the last Sunday that a lot of our Grace College students will be here. And uh, there's a time for everything, including graduation, uh, moving on in life, finding summer jobs. And so we want to say this is a time to thank our college